Welcome to Ben and Eric's podcast, an opinion show about Anatomy of a Fall and Station Eleven. In Anatomy of a Fall, a woman is suspected of her husband's murder, and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the main witness. Station Eleven is about a post-apocalyptic saga spanning multiple timelines, telling the stories of survivors of a devastating flu as they attempt to rebuild and reimagine the world anew while holding on to the best of what's been lost. Okay, that's a wordy explanation, but it does accurately describe Station Eleven. Um, but first, Eric, how are you doing? I am well, Ben. How is, uh, you getting back into the swing of things at school? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've got some good classes I'm excited for. Um, yeah, there's this one audio class where we don't even have like canvas is the online, like course, like the online, uh, classroom that we all have access to. Right. He doesn't have one of them. So I like kind of don't have homework. My only homework is to study for the next, like, uh, class mm. and we have a quiz every day, but I mean, it's easy enough. So how's the schedule? You got any crazy 8am classes? No, only tens, twelves and twos. Primo. Nice. That's yeah. I, sweet spot. I nailed it with my schedule this year. Great. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I've been back like a week and well, first we're recapping the Emmys. Uh, let's get, oh, yeah, yeah. let's talk about, let's um, talk about that, how I my, lost my shining victory, um, from our contest that we had. Congratulations again. I'm sorry. What was that? I said, congratulations. It was, I, a, I'm, I'm, it was a good I, contest. It I was gotta a fair contest. Say, say it one more time. I missed that. It was a fair contest. Right. It was, we were on equal playing fields. We all had the right information at the right time. It's okay. It's great. Final score, 26 for me, 21 for Ben. And then Scott, super fan Scott stepped in, gave us his very complete list of picks <laughs> and uh he's he's vying for a spot in this podcast which i say we give him sometime soon yeah um he got 16 so he was in third place but you know he's he's just an amateur he's he's not in the game like we are so no it yeah. did make me feel better though I, I beat someone you know uh you did beat someone let's talk about real quick i, I just want to go through um my experience of that broadcast i thought i was toast early because you know the three point the, when you get three points is because you pick the winner both as should win and will win. So you get two points for will and you get one point for should. If you happen to pick the same person that wins the award, you get massive three points, which is huge. And you shut me out right away out of the gate with two three-pointers and I got two goose eggs. So it was six nothing very quick. Yeah, he was sure to text me. By the way, I didn't watch for one second of the end. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I do have a good explanation. I don't have access to cable, so I couldn't watch it while they aired. But yeah, I didn't watch a second of it. So my uh, your big victories right out of the gate were um, let's see here, let's see here. Ayu Ayo Itabiri from the Bear, um, mm -hmm. she won, and then you also won for Quinnett Brunson um, for Abbott Elementary, and I I was goose egg on both of those. Yeah, that was kind of like a pick I had no clue about, and I was just like, I bet she wins. Um, but yeah, I heard um, Bill Simmons uh, talk about the format of the Emmys. And he, he, he wanted to propose a radical change to go 30 minute episodes and hour long episodes For as sure. like the two sections. Yep. I've heard that before. Cause com cause the bear as a comedy, that was, you know, yeah, that was bad. That doesn't make sense. So, um, but there's, there's maybe one more category hmm. or one less, but like 30 minute shows. I don't know. All right. Because that doesn't that, 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 like. It doesn't dictate the content of the show at all. True. 
You True. could be comparing a 30-minute docu-series or an hour-long docu-series to a 30-minute comment or to a to a hour-long like tragedy, like Greek tragedy. It's like, yeah, what are we doing here? Yeah, There's, they can't be in the same category. I don't know. Right. That's just back, back to my victory. Uh, my three pointers: <laughs> Paul Walter, Walter Hauser for um, Blackbird. Yeah. Uh, and then let's see, another three zero that I got was uh, yeah, Matthew McFadden on um, Succession was a mm. three pointer for me. Oh, Bob Odenkirk, you went all in with Odenkirk. That was like, well, one how of, could I not? Like, it was one of the last uh, one of the last episodes or last uh, awards of the evening. Mm-hmm. And you needed that one desperately to to pull ahead, but yeah, uh, but of course it didn't. It, it, Better Call Saul won zero Emmys, and zero six for fifty three. I think it is right uh-huh. Emmy Emmy nominations, and yeah. they've never won a single one, which it, is tragic. Because it is better than most shows that came yeah. out in the last six years. Yeah, it's it's the award process and structure and and who gets who gets rewarded is pretty fucked in my opinion. So, yeah, so like. It's who's watching like anything else. I'm, just, I'm curious. I'm just curious who's watching these shows and who's deciding what because yeah, right, right. They were either tired of Breaking Bad or had never heard of it because they clearly didn't watch this show. Yep, for sure. So, anyway, um, we're talking so, about Anatomy of a Fall today. Well, I'm sorry. Also, what, do I, what do I get for my win? Do I get anything? You or? get a big round of applause, and maybe you can push this episode like you pushed the last one, so people can see immediately that you're a winner. You, you'll get some. Uh, <laughs> self-esteem there <laughs> all right I'm, I'm done basking you're 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 Thank firing you. away so let's move to the movie Thank you. also scott was maybe woke us up to um a lively but small fandom of welcome to chippendales oh uh, we're very sorry we apologize wholeheartedly for the disrespect we showed your show yeah you really love um we also but, yeah blew we it. still have no idea what it is we also blew it and on the tammy um what was the the Tammy, uh, Tommy and Tammy or, or Tammy yeah, and George? We're blowing it now in in trying to apologize for it. Your mother came through and said that was a fantastic show. It had nothing to do with Tammy Faye Baker. It was <laughs> it was Tammy and George, right? George and Tammy. George and Tammy, maybe. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we totally missed that. It was uh, it was about George Jones and Tammy Wynette. Jessica Chastain, Michael Shannon, um, yeah. we blew that one. So I still don't know the, who those people are. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. So that's a different situation. But yeah, um, I don't know those yeah this is a TV podcast where when we don't know what we're talking about, we bullshit our way through it, which um, we should Frankly, you don't want a bunch of like non-confident hosts. You want hosts that are willing to put themselves on the line and be like, this sucks, right. even though who, they have no idea what they're talking about. And who are not accountable to anything or anybody. But when, no, when your yeah. mother steps in, I think that's like that's accountability right there. So we were held accountable. We were. Anyway. Sorry, Mom. Okay, we're talking about Anatomy of a Fall. So this is a uh, movie that I don't think got too much attention in America for a multitude of reasons, um, which we can get into later. But this is a movie about a woman in uh, France living with her husband, and her husband dies. Um, it's basically like. It's a murder mystery. Well, it's not a murder mis- mystery. It's a it's a court it's a courtroom drama, essentially. So, um, it's a really great movie. Um, I'm really glad I watched it. It won the Palme d'Or in France, or 
I'm not sure if it's in France. It won the Palme d'Or. It's in Cannes, and, yeah, and it is it is the highest award for that uh, for that festival. Yes, and I'll get into why the movie didn't get that wide of a release in America. Uh, the director, um, what's her name? Justine uh, Justine Trier. Yep, there Trier. You go. Um, Ooh, in her acceptance speech, uh, heavily criticized the French government's uh, policy towards Social Security. Mm. Uh, I think they were raising the retirement age or like lowering benefits. And obviously, French people got mad about that. I remember mm. that actually. Everyone was like, yo, France is in chaos after the government raised it two years. Why don't they just take it like a man? It was like crazy rhetoric in America for like, mm. why don't why don't the French just stop complaining? Why do they stick up for themselves? It's like, are you do you want to answer that question? Anyways, um, the French government, when they decided what their uh, movie of the year or was or French nomination for like international movie of the year was, they decided not to do this movie, which was probably to punish the director for what uh, she said in her acceptance speech. Um, so this movie isn't as well known in America, I think. And I think that's the reason why. And so here we are making it known to about 30 people, but we're making it known. Anatomy of a Fall. <laughs> it, it is getting good buzz for Academy Award nominations because there's some great acting performances. And <clears throat> I I absolutely love this movie. I, I came away from it. It was definitely one of the ones where when I was done watching, it was like, that was good. I was intrigued. I was, I was in for a while. Um, and then at the end, I was a little unsatisfied with the ending until I thought about it more and read about it. I don't like to take my my opinion of a movie based on what other people say about it, but there were definitely parts of it that I didn't catch. And by reading reviews, I was like, oh shit, I didn't see that part of it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it, I thought it was like, you know, two feet deep and all of a sudden it's, it's four feet deep of a movie, you know? And hmm. so- um, What parts were those? I'm, I'm, are they spoilers? We'll get into that when we, we, we slip into spoilers, but, um, cause we definitely will move into spoilers for this movie. But the structure of this movie, was like part drama, part like reality investigative interview style TV with um, like recorded interviews as she's prepping for the trial, um, which is a great way to provide exposition for some of the backstory of these. I have something these, to say about that. Yeah. These characters. Okay. So for me, it really, it was like, there's that sort of, you know, true crime podcast fad going on right now. People are doing a lot of those for years through the pandemic and whatnot. So this really scratches that itch. Um, so you get a, you get a look at their home life. You get, you know, the beginning of the movie, it's very, everything's very normal. And then you see some cracks in that facade. You know, you, um, one of the first scenes is an interview that, um, our lead character, um, Sandra mm -hmm. has with, uh, a student of hers and, um, they're interviewing each other in her, in Sandra's house. And then you get some really loud music being played upstairs. Um, and it and turns it's... out to be uh, Samuel, her husband, upstairs. That's just fucking with her. He he does that when he's doing his work up in the attic. And it, it, it sort of, it raises the tension of the, of the scene for sure. It makes you so uncomfortable in the first five minutes. It does. And it for does. a while too, they very, sit in it. Very safty brother, brothers, you know, uncut gems style of uncomfortable cringe. So th then, then you get into the accident, you know, that's on the movie poster, and then you move into lawyers. You get into interviews. You get backstories. You learn about some grudges. There are other revelations, yes. and it, it that takes really about forty five minutes. And yeah. to me, it took too long. 
Uh, I went with it. I was really digging it um, because, you know, like the tension in the in the interview scene there with the music, um, it, it was it. I knew what I was in for and I was kind of going along with the ride. I was really trusting the director and the story to take me there because I thought they did a fantastic job of putting me into what seemed like a very normal, you know, engagement between between two women having coffee and talking about, you know, um, the subject matter that, that Sandra and the student were talking about. And then boom, and then they just kind of just take you down a path. So I love that. And we'll get into the end or the, some of the reveals later, but that's my overall take on it is totally worth it. I, I wish I'd seen this in the theater. It's got kind of a all engrossing kind of feeling to the movie. Um, so I was, I was glad that I kind of lost myself in it because that's what, that's the kind of experience you should have with this movie. Yeah, um, that section of movie that you're talking about, this is a two and a half hour long movie. Like it's kind of a, you got to sit down and really watch it. Yeah, I broke it down into two parts just because that first 45 minutes to me was frankly a little bit boring. Um, they had that really intense beginning. Like you, they really started us off on a like, wow, this is crazy. And it's not a spoiler to say the conversation happens. He's blasting the music. Daniel leaves the room or leaves the house, the kid, the child. His name is Daniel. Am I wrong? Correct. Daniel. Okay. Um, he leaves the house with his dog, his seeing eye dog. He walks around the property a little bit. He comes back um, and his, his father is dead on the ground. Like his father's not moving, bleeding from his head, dead. And he like starts screaming. The mother comes out and um, that's where the story really begins. Um, the murder. That's, that's where the, the action. Murder, but... That's where the action really begins. Yeah, the, the the courtroom, the lawyer stuff, the crime investigation, all that. Yeah. Yes. So now we're seeing like, did she do it? What's her story? What's Daniel's story? Um, we're talking to her lawyer. Who is her lawyer? What's their relationship between Sandra and her lawyer? Um, a lot of things are being said. A lot of things are happening, and they don't all mean everything. There's a lot of information that you need to get, and frankly. Sandra does a great job of portraying um, this woman. Uh, she like the question is always in the air. Like, did she do it? Is she responsible? Is she a loving mother? Who is who is this woman? And we're figuring that out. It took a while though. Yeah. And I I, I had I like stopped it and went and did something else because I was bored. I was like, I want let's mm. get to the courtroom. Mm. I don't want this pretrial stuff. I don't want this like nitpicking word choices between two badgering lawyers. Like I want to be in the meat of the trial and then the trial happens. And I'm not sure that's such a surprise. I mean, when I don't think, so that's not really a spoiler either. The fact that there is a trial, it's not like yeah, it, she's obviously they're, they're blaming her for this, for this uh, death. There's a, there's enough reason for the government to believe this is homicide and they're trying to prove it in a court of law. So let's let's quick backstory on Daniel, <clears throat> the other main subject in this movie. He is he's blind in the movie. He is not a blind individual in real life, which was amazing to me. I read that Trier wanted to have a blind kid play this role, but then couldn't find it him. up to to sighted children and was obviously was blown away by this kid. I thought he was amazing. Uh, yes. I mean, <clears throat> something they, about French children. They're like already adults. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Incredibly mature performance. Um, yeah. Just, I mean, when he was sad, when he was emotional, 
it wasn't god you felt it he it's was so so, so good so good um and by the way the dog his seeing eye dog in this movie yeah one and dog award. of the year at like a it can has an award <laughs> called um the palm dog i think yes which, yeah right yes so they started giving that award maybe about 20 years ago and of course uh snoop in this in this uh his his real name is Messi, uh, you know M E S S I, the soccer player. But oh, the real he, name, dog. Yeah, the real dog's the dog's real name. Um, he's Snoop in the movie, and yeah, he such did a cute dog. fantastic job. I don't want to hear how they did a couple of those scenes, which would were disturbing to me yes. to watch a dog in distress. So don't tell me if you know. I don't. Um, I let it go. Um, so anyway, the kid was amazing. Um, uh, Milo Machado Grainer is his name, and he's just he's incredible. Yeah. Um, I think they put like context in. They made him look like he had cataracts, kind of thing. Like yeah, his yeah, eyes, like going on there, his right? eyes, like looked blurry. Like you can clearly see, like the it like looked blurry. Yeah. So from from a, like again, I've said it before in this podcast. One of my favorite movies is Wait Until Dark with Audrey Hepburn, where she plays a blind woman who's being um, stalked, Robbed, attacked right? in you know in her in her apartment. And I I loved it. The, the things they do in this movie to sort of put you in Daniel's shoes are really phenomenal and things I hadn't seen before. There's there's the scene where you are focused on Daniel, the camera's focused on Daniel, and he is moving his head to the speaker that is currently talking to him or having a, a conversation around him. And you only follow his eyes and his head turns while the other characters are speaking. And it's I've never seen it done before. It's amazing. It is unique. It is not done elsewhere in the movie. And you really get put into Daniel's shoes in in that scene. I thought it was I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. Another scene they do later that I won't talk about yet until we get into spoilers. They also do some pretty cool, uh, innovative stuff um, with the camera to 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 give you Daniel's unique perspective. Yeah, um, this film just as like a movie making is it's beautiful. Um, they shoot it. It's really really close to Switzerland, the part of France that they're shooting in. Um, I'm not sure it's the French Alps, but it is a mountainous area in France. I'm not going to claim it's the French Alps. I'm not going to claim it's near the Swiss Alps either, but there's beautiful <laughs> mountain ranges and this house yeah. is really stunning. Um, yeah. And I love movies like this. Like they take the environment and they make it really a part of the movie, which obviously it is like anatomy of a fall. You don't really, I never really picked up on it. I'm like, okay, that's just a four word title. Like it's just, it's not, it has nothing to do with the movie, but as the movie goes on, you're like, holy shit, you really need to know the anatomy of a fall. And at when have you thought about that? And it's yeah. so, and it's a really great title. And the setting plays a really important part in this movie because, I mean, there's a death and it happens in an environment. And that environment needs to look and feel real. And I think that's what they did. They went out to this house. They filmed it in the mountains. It's a beautiful house. Um, and the two main locations are pretty much the house and the courtroom and the courtroom again, like also is really cool. Like it's just the, uh, the levels that they work with and like, uh, the, like the judge and then the lawyers and then the people speaking, it's like, really, it's, um, it's probably got meaning. Uh, I just looked at it like, oh, this is what a French courtroom looks like. I didn't really like. I was still figuring that out. Like, what does yep. a French trial look like? What does a French trial look like? That was amazing. I saw a commenter on Letterboxd say, if I ever get in real trouble, I want to be tried in a French, French courtroom. <laughs> yeah. It was really cool. I mean, the, the, the suspect can speak at any time. There's yes. like, yes, the defendant can speak there's, whenever. 
wide leeway given to lawyers and to people speaking to, to bring evidence in that's like, you're not allowed to do that in the US. Yeah, so, it's crazy shit. <laughs> it's almost like a reality TV show in there. A little and bit. It was, it's really got a flair for the dramatic. It was it's very like, cool. um, yeah, anybody can speak. I'm surprised like there weren't more people in the audience like yelling shit at the trial. Like that the, would have been hilarious. Like she did it. She definitely did. <laughs> the courtroom stuff, there, there's a one out. year time jump from the accident to, um, or yes. the incident, let's say, to the, uh, to the courtroom stuff. And they do. They're, they're very much is like a JFK, like the movie JFK reenactment of the, the, the incident. And um, it's done extremely well. There's, it's done with, with some audio recording <clears throat> that um, you initially think is someone sort of letting the dead actor Samuel speak in, in Samuel's voice. Yet you learn that Samuel actually um, recorded an, a, a conversation that happened a day before the accident, and it was it was leaked to you. It was like you first get Samuel's voice, and then you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is being played in the courtroom," and everyone is hearing it. And it's like that's when the tension goes from lull period to wait. When, are, when are you talking about? Is this like the ending? Argument? No, in the, in, right in the middle of the movie when when he's it's revealed that he's he has recorded things. Mm -hmm. that are personal in yeah. his life, much to the unknown of his, of his wife and the subjects that are being recorded. Mm -hmm. But, um, so the way they reveal that to you is, is done pretty effectively. Like, mm -hmm. it's not like, Oh, we're going to hit play on this tape recorder now. No, it's, it, you think it's a for dramatic effect. And then you realize, Oh my gosh, I'm in the courtroom and everyone is hearing his voice for the first time. Yeah. And really captivating stuff. I mean, it's, it's done like, I haven't seen this done in these kinds of movies. And by the way, anatomy of a murder, 1959, James Stewart. Uh -huh. So that that's, I think the title is drawing from okay. anatomy. of a murder. That's okay. You're just, you're six years old. So you don't know this stuff yet. 19, <clears throat> but you're close. Um, <laughs> yeah, the sound in this movie is something I didn't really appreciate until the end. Um, because that ending piano is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, the child plays piano. Uh, when they cast him, he didn't know how to play piano. So, like, they cast him. I think it was a seventh month, seven month process to casting, uh, which is a long time. Wow. You can ask our future guest, Matthew Shulman, about that. We are going to ask him about casting because that's his job. He's a casting assistant. Um, so, yeah, they began like piano lessons as soon as he was cast so that the movie could like start production. Um, and yeah, the sound is there's hardly any music unless you're hearing it on screen. I would actually bet that there isn't any non-diegetic music, uh, that all the music you hear and all the sounds you hear are on camera or off screen. Mm -hmm. um, they're happening in real life. Uh, obviously, the music at the beginning, the PIMP instrumental, uh, which is like annihilating. It's fucking pulsating. Mm -hmm. It's so It's like loud. a steel drum version, instrumental version. It's so of annoying of 50 cents uh it's PIMP. it's such an annoying rendition of it yeah yeah it, <laughs> but it, it is it's, yeah it's it's sort of like the way an Hitch, a hitchcock score will get stuck in your head yeah. um and sort of freak you out this one is now stuck in all of our heads that have seen this movie yeah um and then you just get like daniel playing the piano like learning the piano and that nine month jump in the middle is like accentuated by like daniel struggling with this piece nine months later he he's got the piece down and it's like okay that's really great um, I think we should get into spoilers soon, but I, I don't know what else to say. Like the audio, I really, really want to talk about what happens in this movie. 
Like the audio cinematography let's, let's, acting let's, is great. Yeah. Let's do that. But first uh, just a real big thumbs up for me. Um, I kind of want to see it again. I, I think it deserves some, some Oscar nods, uh, certainly at least for getting nominated really well written. Um, it, there was, there was relationship drama, very much like marriage story, you know, the, yes. the Adam driver, um, was that oh. uh, Scarlett Johansson? Yes, Scarlett. Movie Scarlett Johansson. Years ago, yes. it felt a lot like that, where just two couple, a couple arguing, and you're sucked in, and it would be very just benign, uncomfortable kind of conversation. But you know, it's leading to one of their deaths, and it's like I'm hanging on every word for that, you know, for that reason. Are you talking so, about this movie or Marriage Story? I'm talking about Anatomy of a Fall. Okay. The one, we're, the one we're here to speak about today. Okay. So. Um, you know, she was, yeah. So I, I will, I'll leave it at that just to say uh, spoiler free review is yes. fantastic. Makes you think, um, definitely read about it when you're done. Cause we're going to talk about some of that reading, uh, in a minute. Yeah. Um, writing is fantastic. Apparently Justine Trier, uh, wrote it with her partner, mm. which is crazy. Mm. First of all, writing anything with a partner is like a challenge on its own. Like you can't imagine like them. So there's got to be a thousand pitfalls you can fall into right. when you're writing something with someone, let alone a romantic partner. That's That's got to be crazy. And right. you choose to write about like a trial. One of them ends up dead. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to direct this. Who came to who with the idea? Yeah. That's such an interesting thing and needs to be explained. And all it says on IMDb is they wrote it together. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? It's yeah. like Igmar Bergman writing. Uh, oh, my God. I can't believe I fucking. I know what you're thinking about, but I can't. Why remember. am I blanking on the title? I don't know either. A scenes from a marriage. Sorry. Scenes from okay. a marriage. It's yes. like him writing scenes from a marriage with his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh, let's get into the spoilers. I really want to talk about – I really want to ask you some questions about what happens in this movie. So Yeah, we're going to do about five gonna... or ten minutes of spoilers. We're going to keep it tight if we can because we got a lot to talk about today. Um, yeah. So the the at first I said I was sort of unsatisfied by the ending. And then mm -hmm. the revelation that when Daniel's testifying towards the end of the movie about um, – it's going to be the turning point. Whatever Daniel says next is going to like help determine um, his mother's guilt or innocence, I think. Yes. And yes. basically he recounts um, a conversation that he says he had with his dad in the car where his, his dad kind of admits being depressed or he's kind of putting, putting, putting Snoop's experience of being sick, the dog being sick, they're driving a dog to the vet, say, trying to tell Daniel, look, Snoop isn't going to be here all the time. You have to prepare yourself for, for Snoop dying one day. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the story that he's recounting is very clearly he's talking about himself. Samuel's talking about himself saying, I may not be here one day. You have to prepare yourself for that. Yeah. And that was Daniel's recounting of saying, I think he was preparing me that he was going to end his life on his own choosing. Hence, it was an accident. Hence, he killed himself, throw, you know, threw himself out the window. He wasn't forced out the window and that's what killed him. Yeah. So I will pause there. You got something to say? Um, yeah. Uh, no, that's good. So my, what I learned then is yes. afterwards is that Daniel's experience with his sort of, you know, caregiver from the court who was keeping an eye on him to keep Daniel separate from his mother, Sandra, during the trial so that the witness wouldn't be talking to the accused. They were living together and they needed to be separated. 
Daniel needed someone to take care of him. He's blind. He's a child. Yeah. He needs someone to take care of him. So they had a court uh, person, Marge, I think, take care of him. Yeah. Marge um, is great, by the way. She Love was wonderful. Marge. And their their conversation the day before Daniel testified was very much like Daniel grappling with what he was going to say, what was his experience, what could he draw from in terms of his, you know, being able to hear clues as obviously he can't see them. So what did he hear in the, the, the days leading up to the incident? And the fact that Daniel may have been putting his dad's words, they may have come from like, he may have crafted them. It That's what I was going to ask. I wanted to ask. Yeah. You, did Daniel lie? Did he lie? Daniel in the may have, did he make that up? He may have. And there's some great analysis on the letterbox reviews about this. Um, the dad is effectively lip syncing that scene. Daniel's voice is coming out of his dad's mouth, like yes. to the frame. Yes. It is a perfect lip sync, which is a bit of a, like, why wouldn't they give us Samuel's voice? They gave us Samuel's voice before. Well, but there is this no time, recording, so they're not going to like I fake it that. like that. I get that. But it was, it was sort of off putting to have Daniel's voice be in Samuel's mouth. Yeah. So, um, we, let, let me just read this quickly. That we only hear Daniel's voice from the stand was always prominent in my mind. This is from a reviewer. The monologue never feels like a flashback existing within a real place and time, but instead within Daniel's head. He's an omniscient narrator author creating a scene. Couple that realization with the connection back to Marge's advice to Daniel the night before. When he can't understand something, all we can do is choose a version of events and believe it. And, and it seems it. clear... Yep that cause has much more or less met effect. So yeah, I, I truly believe it was St. Daniel sort of being selective about what he heard, his experience, and maybe get, seeing this opportunity to, to sort of clear his mother. Daniel is, I mean, by definition and completely like all encompassing an unreliable narrator. Yeah. He is a blind child. So He's influenced by so many other things that aren't his own mind. Um, his mother is on trial for the murder of his father. So emotionally, this he has so much stake in the outcome of this trial that mm -hmm. he's a completely unreliable, unreliable narrator. So what he says in court, he he might really mean and he might really hope and believe what he says, like and put hope in what he says, but. He could have been making it all up. And I was going to ask you that question. And I do believe actually that he made it all up mm. because I think he wanted to believe that the course of events that happened was they were in an unhappy marriage. Um, she was not, she is not a murderer and he can't get her father back. He can't get his father back. So do you choose to believe that your mother's a murderer and she, she took your father away from you? Or do you choose to believe that your father unhappy as he was took his own life? And that's what you have to live through. That's what you have to overcome. That's the trauma you have to get through. Not, and you have a parent who you love and who you believe right. in. I mean, that's the outcome he wants. Who's and that's the outcome for he you got. as a blind child where you're going to need some help. So, um, well, it wasn't yeah, just I mean, that. It's we, like, would you rather work through both of your parents leaving? Both yeah. of your parents gone or one? The, both of your parents gone and you hate the one parent you have. You've got Daniel being acted, you know, in the person of this Milo Grainer. And then you've got Daniel, the character who is acting at this moment to save the rest of his life and to secure his future with his mother. 
which he just lost his father, my gosh. And then now he may be, you know, play a role in, in, in taking his mother out of his life. So from that standpoint, again, that's the part where it was like, I just took it at face value that Daniel was just telling the truth the whole time. Now it is revealed earlier on in the movie that Daniel does change his story once in something that is not totally innocent. Like, Oh, Daniel, you, you, you and and the judge calls him out on it like why are we yeah. going to believe you now because you were you changed your story before so there's the unreliableness of daniel coming back into the film to give you a little bit of pause mm-hmm. but like again he he's acting so well this 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 actor as daniel it's like i'm i'm buying whatever he's selling you know so yeah, I, so I, it took me a while after i i saw the movie to kind of come to this and for, and it elevated the movie for me for sure mm-hmm. The more I think about the movie, the more I do believe that Daniel was lying. That, but that leads you to the ultimate question. Uh, well, first of all, I really, really don't want to miss out on the discussion that I want to have about that last ar- – that's that argument. The argument that they have that he records is so mind-bogglingly perfect. I mean hmm. it is such it, – it's such a powerful tool and they save it and save it and save it and they have this like – they have the inkling of the argument like 15, 20 minutes in. Like, oh, did you have an argument? Like, we found an audio file. And then 10 minutes later, did you have an argument the day before he died? Oh, yeah, yeah, we we fought. But like, and then it's like, oh, shit. You now fought. we're all going to hear it. Right, right. And we're all gonna then hear it's it like now. they have the argument on on record. And then Amazing. we finally get to hear it on trial. Done and, so well where, where it, you know, she denies the the intensity of the argument. Then we start to hear it. Then we realize, oh, my gosh, it's actually being played in the courtroom. And we get to yeah. watch her reaction, everyone's reaction to that. Yeah. That leads me to the question. Daniel's yeah. testimony and that argument leads me to the question, did she actually do it? Do you think yeah. she actually did it? So, yes, I do. And by the way, that that scene itself with the argument, and we should end on this because we're, we're running long. But that scene was – um, Sand- Sandra was Samuel was incredibly violent during that the first half of that argument. He was accusatory. It's almost like he was baiting her, knowing he was recording this. He yes, was trying that is to get said, something, and that's true. He was trying to get something worthy out of this fight, right? And 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 she is like docile. She's comp- she's like Look, she is not go- docile. In the first half of that argument, she is. Let's let's take a beat. I was I was shocked at how calm she was during the beginning part of that fight. And then it turned to, so as a viewer, I'm like, oh, she didn't kill him. Like when he gets at his most like out of control and irrational, she is totally cool about it. And then it flips and then it gets violent. And then there's actually shit thrown around the room and she participates in that. So then in your head as a viewer, you're like, oh my gosh, she really could have done it. So I love the way the movie kind of takes you through these valleys and peaks of like, she didn't do it. She did it. She didn't do it. She did it. To me, the movie was always she did it until the end. To me, it was always she did it. Every detail that came out in that pretrial was mm. she's guilty, she's guilty, she's guilty. Mm. Every every time on trial when she was nervous and when she was – the director – I read a thing on IMDb. The director uh, told the actress not whether she was guilty or, or innocent but to act innocent. Mm. Bro. I bought it. I'm, I did not. I did the I opposite. I totally bought it. She's she's trying really hard to look innocent, and that's what I saw. That's what I, I saw. I know, man. And it it's felt great. So no, no, genuine it's, to me. It's great. I think she's like <laughs> this movie makes me want to watch Charlize Theron's Monster. Mm. I want to see how like that movie works, where like this evil woman who's like a 
uh, murdering psychopaths. Like, I want to see how that works because I feel like, first of all, the woman, Sandra, uh, Sandra, the character is German. Mm-hmm. It, oh, you're don't talking, even fucking go there. Don't you're talking about there. a European movie in France. <laughs> the German woman is on trial. She's she's invading France. You're going back to. Uh, I'm to just saying. I, I think her, if, let, 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 if her ethnicity let, wasn't important, they wouldn't have said it. I think that actually like is a little detail that you're like I want her to be guilty now. We do need to move on. Let's just end on the fact we that need to move you on. and I, I like this discussion. You and I both walked away with different experiences and beliefs of Sandra. Yeah. That in and of itself, and we both love the movie. That in and of itself is enough reason to recommend this movie. That's pretty cool that that we had completely divergent views yes. of, of her intention and her uh, activity. Also, really. yeah, I don't think anyone's coming. Like, we can keep talking about it for, like, the next few minutes. But what I also wanted to say was okay. um, I thought she was guilty throughout the whole movie. And I thought the ending result of her being acquitted mm-hmm. was a result of good argument um, by the defense, um, casting doubt on the facts and using their own facts to cast doubt on the uh, prosecutor's facts that he was bringing before the judge, uh, emotional, like Daniel's story and her spinning the argument as like, a, he's depressed, he's a failure. I'm the one who's succeeding. I can't be guilty of of, be, of succeeding where my husband failed. It's like, uh, yeah, you might've actually like fucked your husband over on multiple occasions and then mm. blamed him for his like lack of trying and whatever. Um, so I always thought she was guilty from the like beginning of the movie she's guilty as fuck it's always the wife it's always the husband it's always the the partner in when there's a domestic it it always is i mean like sometimes if they get murdered around the house there's no one else there i thought the, there are suicides i mean you know that shit does happen too so i thought the like the movie could have taken a turn where like it turns out like some dude just randomly murdered him and ran the fuck away but no, I, like, I'm interested in other people's opinions about whether or not they believe Sandra. I, and, I don't believe her at all. I think she was meant to look like someone acting innocent. And when hmm. you act innocent, you're not innocent. You're acting. Uh, okay. Well, she's a really good actress. So I'm she's gonna, fantastic. I bought it. I bought it. Yeah, I didn't buy it. A German woman, with short hair, who's like, actually, like, in that argument, I, she, I sided you with say short hair. Yes. I don't know what you're going for there. I don't think I want to know what you're going for there. Do I? It's like a military cut. It's like uh, she's calculating and cold. Every oh. every word that he said in that argument made me side with him more. Like he's not a failure. She is kind of he heartless. Her, he she's... dragged her to this place. Like instead of taking being in the city where she wanted to be, he drags her to this project of this house he wants to help rebuild. He drives them into debt. What you know? I'm completely all the more under- reason for her to kill him. <laughs> all the more re- reason that she is being sort of she's being persecuted in this in this marriage. And he is kills taking him advantage to get out of her. It. But the way she she doesn't she never reacts violently. Otherwise, I mean, except for this argument that's the day before he's he's he dies. She does throw something, but he started it. I, I'm going to go back to me as like a an elementary school kid. He fucking started it. And he it's always the kid there. that hits second that gets in trouble. It's always. <laughs> it's never the kid who started its fault. Because the teacher only catches you when you hit back. That's uh, true. That's what I heard man. all of elementary school. I was there too. It's always the kid who hits second that gets in trouble. <laughs> and she hits second. She did it. 
All right. And she got acquitted like OJ. Like, I, well, again, well, it didn't fit, Eric. I'm trying to wrap us up with this comment that we walked away with two completely different views, although we both love the movie. So see yeah. this movie. And unfortunately, if you're listening to the spoiler part of the movie and you haven't seen it, we're sorry. If you have seen it, tell us what you think. Tell us who's who's uh, who's more on point here. I think I think Sandra played it really well. I totally bought her, although they do take you through some ebbs and flows on that. I did buy her story. Yeah, so. She backtracked too much. She turns out to be kind of a violent person. I think she really hates him. I think she blames him for all her problems. Everyone hates um, him. Everyone I hates hate him? him? I hated him. Are you kidding me? Oh, fuck yes. He's a loving father. He's the actual, he's the one oh. who actually has the relationship with the child. She's cold. She, he baited her into that argument. And of course he did. But he knew he, she could take the bait. He was emotionally unavailable for her through a good portion of the marriage. He dragged her to this place. She cheated. She, I, there's no justification, no justification for that. But, um, yeah, full stop. There's no justification for that. But he, he was pretty abusive in the relationship up until that point. He was abusive, emotionally abusive. He took control. He did things. He he took he took he made decisions for the marriage that were not good for the family. All right. To me, I saw that as her presenting all the bad shit about him. All right, let's move on. I didn't see that as him like because he never on. really had a chance to defend himself because he was obviously dead. All right. Um, we'll be right back with, uh, station 11. Stay tuned. And we're back with station 11, but first an ad read from our sponsor. Dirty Sue makes olive juice that you can put in a vodka martini. Shout out to your mother again, uh -huh. who cracked up to my first vodka martini, uh, which I had, um, a week and a half ago, right before the filming of one of these fantastic podcast and i love it i'm i'm sold on that i need to talk to et about um about these things called vodka martinis which i've yes. just discovered apparently it's a it's a new thing Again, out there you're like 10 years late but yes very i'm more than 10 years late yeah yeah so and i plan on getting ridiculed for the only real martini is a gin martini because i've heard that in my life uh before well, those people so, are weird related to me as well and old so usually old yes you're right well, martinis always come from yes. old old people. That's their drink. Mm -hmm. um, but Dirty Sue makes the olive juice, juice that can go into a gin martini or a vodka martini. And it's fantastic. You get it from DirtySue.com. Get a two-pack for 20-some dollars, free shipping. You can't go wrong. And the bottle goes a long time. You're not putting a ton of olive juice into every into every uh, serving. So it's a garnish kind of thing. Uh, but you can get olives from them as well. Whiskey cherries. And bloody uh, bloody Mary mix as well. Bloody Sue. So I almost fucked that up again. I can't get that bloody Mary, bloody Mary mix. Yes. So get yourself yeah. some olive juice. That's their flagship product from DirtySue.com. You can get it on Amazon too if you're building a cart. Go ahead and throw it in there, uh, or get it from them directly. Again, always free shipping. Yeah. Support small businesses. Support your local podcast. All right. Um, Station Eleven. This is a. This was your top show of 2022. Um, you're a huge fan. This is the first time we're doing it on the podcast. Um, you told me about it as you were watching it. You were like, you got to watch this show. I watched the first few episodes and I stopped watching it. Um, that was like a year ago. Uh, I've now seen the first three episodes. Okay. Out of 10. Um, 
I want to hear your thoughts on it. I know you really, really like it. Um, this is, you know, you got a post-apocalyptic or actually as an apocalypse is happening and yes. introduced to you in episode one, and then you get glimpses of 20 years later in episode, uh, the very end of episode one and episode two. And throughout the series, you get flashbacks to um, the days after this quote unquote flu starts in Chicago. Um, Toronto is standing in there as uh, the place um, that is supposed to be Chicago, <clears throat> but it yeah, is- they filmed it in Toronto, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, but it, they sure do give you Chicago vibes. Um, it is, uh, yeah, this was my favorite show of 2022, I guess, or 2021. I think it is 22, because I think it came, yeah. I think it finished yeah. in 22. Yeah, they famously had a, they, they filmed about one-fifth of the show, and then they had to shut down for the pandemic. Yeah, which and, is and literally what they were filming. Exactly, and then 11 months later, they come back and finish filming, and that's just meta in and of itself very yes. wild that they had to go through that because I, I felt every word in this show i i'm now two episodes in of the rewatch thanks to us getting ready to record this and Paige and i are going to be finishing our rewatch of all 10. it is so well done um uh the the acting is incredible mackenzie davis who I fell in love with in the Halt and Catch Fire series of like the birth of the, the PC computer industry in the 80s and then the 90s. Um, she does an amazing job in this, playing the lead character who's played by a child actor throughout the series as well in yeah. the flashbacks. Yeah. Um, real quick, the tagline, a post-apocalyptic saga spanning multiple timelines, telling the story of survivors of a de devastating flu as they attempt to rebuild and reimagine the world anew while holding on to the best of what's been lost. Yes. And uh, Thomas Somerville, who created the show, uh, Emily St. John, um, sorry, Emily St. John Mandel wrote the book and Paige told me to read the book many times. I never did. I'm sorry, Patrick Somerville, the creator who also did The Leftovers on HBO years ago. And this definitely has leftover vibes in terms of the, you know, different world that we're living in. And he does an incredible job at building the drama and tension. Uh, and it's extremely, it's just an amazing show. And um, I can't say enough good things about it. I will say a few more things about it after I get your take on it. Are you going to continue watching this after three episodes? I don't know. Um, I stopped watching this because I think it was a little too on the nose. I had just lived through a pandemic. I was not interesting in, interested in watching a pandemic, how a pandemic would unfold. I watched it already by living through it, just like everybody else. Um, so this show was not for me. Um, mm. I, I think episode three really stuck with me on the rewatch. Um, because it was the new episode, I I kind of remembered what happened in episodes one one and two, but then episode three I hadn't seen before. Um, so I watched it, so I like had something new to talk about and see. And frankly, um, it was slow, and I was tired. Mm. Um, I I don't know. Hiro Mirai directed that episode. Um, I'm in love still. This doesn't change anything. Like. I still think he's the face of naturalist, uh, surrealist uh, TV. And I think he's going to do, do from? What do we know Atlanta. Oh, got it. And okay. Barry and 
directing and executive producing The Bear, a lot of great shows that mm-hmm. we love to talk about. Um, I, I still believe he's the future and people who work with him are just made better by his presence. Um, it's kind of silent. I've never even seen an interview with him, but uh, I, his name just keeps popping up on really great pieces of work. And this is one of the first ones that I had seen. And frankly, if I'm going to watch anything of his, it's not going to be this. I'll rewatch the bear. I'll rewatch mm-hmm. Atlanta. I'll, I'll even rewatch Barry. But this is like, um, this is really slow. Um, I wish there was more happening. There's well, the thing I noticed in episode three was there's so much sadness and mellowness and no one really gets up in arms about anything until the very end. And frankly, there wasn't enough happiness in it to really make it super like hold it together, like to hold it all together. It just felt like everything is so down and despairing. And I was not satisfied with that. Um, that's not the way I wanted to look at it. Um, I was just, I, I wasn't satisfied. Uh, it said directed by Hiro Mirai. And I was like, damn it. It looks great. Mm-hmm. The acting's great. Um, but there's something about like the pacing or the content of the material that I really wasn't that happy with. And there are other shows that uh, I like better. Um, oh. I'd assume it gets better. The top rated episode is the last episode. So, I mean, I'd assume it only gets better and it only builds more but a lot of like the connections like the love and the grief of people dying um I, it didn't stick with me uh rewatching it um i don't know if this is an age thing but um i'm gonna have to ask you to clear out for a minute <laughs> so i can i can work um because they, they give you glimpses of a lot of characters in the first couple episodes and um for instance uh in, in episode three, Miranda, you get a bunch of episodes, uh, Miranda in episode three, but the glimpse of her in the first two episodes are pretty intriguing. Like, what is she doing? She's authoring this comic book, Station Eleven, um, and the whole backstory in that is revealed to you throughout all 10 episodes, and you get a couple episodes that are very Miranda heavy because you want them. You're, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gaps in the story that you want filled, and the, the, author takes their time giving those giving those filled gaps a lot of time a lot of time yes and and it is it is slow but oftentimes i just need time to process what i'm what i'm looking at i mean the first the first episode where they are they're doing these quick cuts between lively chicago getting ready for the play you hear some people coughing in the audience. That's the first thing you hear is a cough in the audience at a very quiet play. And it's like, oh, that was not by accident, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'll intertwine shots of post-apocalyptic theater that you're currently in with incredibly over a lot of overgrowth from you know the weeds and, and ivy that has found their way into it because there's been no life there for a long time. So that is like glimpses of, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna quickly show you this. But just hang on, we're going to get there and it's going to take us 10 hours in full to get there and give you the backstory of all these people. But along the t- the ride, you get Miranda, you get Clark, you get Frank, who is Jeevan's brother. You know, shout out to uh, Himesh Patel, who plays Jeevan, the other essential lead in this in this show, yeah. who's paired up with with Kirsten as a child and an adult. Yes. Yeah. And Frank plays Jeevan's 
uh, is Jeevan's brother, who's played by Nabhan Rizwan, who's just phenomenal. His opening line is a laugh out loud, funny line when Jeevan comes into his apartment and Frank says, hi, brother. And hi, little white girl. You know, when, when the young Kirsten is, is tagging behind Jeevan, yeah. who he's taking care of her for the moment. So like there's, there's, there's like glimpses of great comedic moments here. Um, uh, the prophet, you know, the, the, there's throughout the series, you get glimpses of people as children before the pandemic, you get, you get glimpses of them as they start to rise in their various uh, roles um, 20, 25 years later, but they give it to you. They, they definitely give it to you and it does take their time getting there. But the last episode is the highest rated for a reason where it's like, you know, you've been along for the ride. You're enjoying it. Some of us are. And then it fucking pays off like nobody's business. So um, this is a spoiler free um, discussion of this. I I won't give it give it away to people because Mm -hmm. I really want people to see this. I I didn't get depressive. I've lived through a pandemic. Um, my God, I don't want to do this again vibes out of it. And, um, this may be because you were in some really formative years as you were living through it. And I respect that. So I'm not going to try to talk you into watching this because you deserve some space and time before you <laughs> dig into this again. Yeah. But in, in 10 years, I'm going to bug you about it. Okay. Well, I hope they come out with a season two. Is this like a anthology series? What are we doing I- here? Don't think so. I think it was a pretty complete look at the story. So um, okay, I'd I'd be happy to come back to these characters, but it is so goddamn perfect as a piece. Um, it'd be fine if it doesn't come back. I suppose I, I wanted to like have a little bit less of Miranda um, and a little bit more of the characters that I really liked in episode three. I don't know. Mm. I don't. Know. People really want Miranda. I found Miranda to be really emotionally closed off and not who I uh, could connect with as a person. And so as, as she takes us through the journey in episode three, specifically, I, I know I'm talking a lot about episode three, but that was like, okay, can we please do something? That's fair. There's an episode in uh, number five titled the Severn city airport. Yeah. And, uh, they're basically giving you a setting and, um, I, I will, I will not spoil it any, anything past that, but that. The, the places that they choose to put you in and the people that they put you in contact with stay with you forever. I mean, it's like, I'm anxious to get to that episode again. I'm, I'm about to start episode three again, and I can't wait to get to five. Like I want to relive that and see those people again, because again, the pandemic experience we had, it's like, you feel it with them because, you know, I don't know what that's like. Well, actually I kind of do know what that's like. Right. So that part of it is great. Um, yes, they, they definitely take you many notches above, you know, my personal experience of being stuck in Bethesda for, you know, one to two years. But, um, when the snow is falling and you're limited to the people you can speak to and see, and, um, some people go through some incredible hardship and some people don't make it. It's like, it's done extreme. I, I, it's, it's almost like a perfect series. It really is almost perfect. Well, your taste has almost never been wrong except about Barry, but we'll get into that. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think you've done a good job of convincing me to watch episode four. 
Um, I'll probably check it out, but. Can I just, can I ask you, hmm. just get through five? Just, I, I'm going to, please. Like, I know at that point I'll be bought in. Yes. I, you're halfway, you're halfway through and I will totally get, it's two hours of your life and um, that I'm asking for. And I know that's a lot. You're well, you get that through. pretty much every week. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'll sacrifice a week of this podcast if I get you to watch through episode <laughs> five, um, because uh, yeah, it's the it's the airport episode, and um, uh, I don't think you'll stop after that. But if you do, and I'm wrong, uh, I will fall on my sword and apologize. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, I just like uh, I don't know what I'm gonna say. All right, uh, it is something I would you think about. What did you think about Mackenzie Davis as Kirsten? She was, her... she was pretty great. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I don't think she's been challenged actor-wise yet in the way that, like, a mm. uh, main character usually is. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm assuming Waller? that comes later. Like, I can't imagine they just don't, but. Yes. she She's in all 10 episodes, of course, as as well as young Kirsten, Matilda Lawler. I didn't even remember her in the third episode, though. Um, she's like barely, she's, barely in it. Okay. She, she, it says here, she is absolutely in all 10. Yes. So just like you get Mackenzie Davis for like literally 30 seconds at the end of episode one, that's the first time you mm -hmm. see her. As yeah. An adult. That counts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was, I, I was going to ask you, well, I know your answer to this, but I think my answer would be mildly worth uh, listening to. Uh, would this be better as a two, two and a half hour movie? No, hundred percent. No, I know. I know that's your answer because you need the time. Like the last of us, which of course, maybe I just gotta, I have a type. I just need an apocalypse. <laughs> yes. TV shows. Yeah. But like the last of us, you, you intertwine with backstories, you know, you need to feel something. You can't just get the character's experience in the present day. You need to hear where they came from and, and see it and feel it and get that emotion built up within you so that when you jump ahead in time, it's like, oh, I get why they're going through that. I get, I get why that's the decision that they made, and um, yeah, you need that. I think that's sure. your that's your love of exposition talking because I, I those flashbacks, um, I, I feel like are not like corny, but like a little bit of a way to get around like building your character. Now, um, I'm not a huge fan of flashbacks unless it's like going to reveal more stuff later, which um, I'd assume are are. <laughs> Our gonna, creators and writers have thought of that and are not just giving you exposition in the past just because. But right now it's not being paid off and um, because it happens later, but it happens a while later. Like six I'm going to challenge you on later. this one part. Episode one is 100% in the past. It's the beginning of the flu. And I say 100%, let me say 99, because they give you those glimpses of, of you know the theater in Chicago being overgrown and uninhabitable. Yeah. And you get the 20 years later jump at the last half minute yeah. of the episode. So that is all backstory. That is all these characters when they were 20 years younger <clears throat> before you see them, some of them later. So um, with some amazing acting with the child actor there um, in Matilda, Matilda Lawler. So who's also in the Gilded Age, by the way, on Max. So shout out to, to that guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, she plays a fantastic kid in in the gilded age on max um so they give you all backstory for the first episode and then it's a lot of 20 years later in episode two so i think they're doing a pretty good job trading off with 
each other. And um, I bought in every decision they made. I think it's just note perfect. And again, make me feel something. And at the end of this series, it's just like, it's like the Americans. It's like the Americans finale. You live through so many, so much time with these people and you got to have empathy for Russian spies that were trying to like <laughs> do harm to this country. It's like, you couldn't have more of an anti-hero than you had in the Americans. Um, but the at Sopranos. the end, you big anti-hero stuff there too. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I was just mentioning, you, I was just mentioning that. I know you were, you were putting a dagger into my Americans, um, but, but you're, you know, you're bought into these people and you're bought into their decisions and you're rooting for them. And just like you root for Walter White, who is a bad dude at the end of Breaking Bad, but you root for these people. So how do they do that is the magic of some of these TV shows. And uh, this one has that magic. Hmm. I'm going to check out episode four. You've convinced me. I'm going to watch the rest of the show. Did you say five as well? I missed. I didn't hear you. Did you say five as well? Yes. I'll get to episode five too. Okay, good. Um, good, good. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. Next time we record, I, I do want to hear if you got through five and you can give a little bit of an update to me and the world of that's what we're 50, all waiting I think it's for. 50, I think it's 50 people. I don't think it's 20. I don't think it's 30 people um, that listen to <laughs> these, episode. Uh, Per episode. these tones um so yeah i do want to hear i do want to hear your your experience after five yeah um i mean clearly this, this show is made by a lot of talented people the show is made by a lot of people who care about it um it looks a lot like a hero mirai thing i really like um some of the color choices are really great um especially in episode three you could really tell the difference between like the past there's a lot of uh rose colored glass looking at the past through a rose colored glass like uh Everything feels warmer. It's yellowy. It's it's um quite nice. The color temperature is high, and then you get to the present, and the light is pale. Things are blue. It's cold. It's like um you're on your own. It's a apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is done. Re- that, that visually, they really they give you the difference between the past and the uh, present. Um, and yeah, this is made. It's clearly made by a lot of people who care. I'm just, I'm not bought in yet. That's my problem is I'm not Mm -hmm. bought in yet. And I know like that's how it works. Once you're bought in, you're hooked, you're on it. But um, I'm just not there yet. I haven't gotten there in the first three episodes. Okay. Uh, Maybe I'll get there by five. Sorry? Maybe I'll get there by five. Yeah, you will. Um, for in terms of Emmy nominations, it did not win any, but it was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven uh, awards. Um, lead actor Himesh Patel um, as Jeevan, outstanding, just so good. It won for it, it was nominated for directing for a, an episode. Um, Patrick Somerville, Somerville written uh, writing for one of the episodes. Um, music composition, cinematography, sound editing, yeah, all that is just like. You know, even if you're just like, it's moving slowly, it just looks and sounds great. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry you couldn't get lost in it like I do, but uh, I guess that's what um, 40 years of of age will do to somebody. Yeah, maybe. I get lost a lot as an old person. Old (laughs) people get lost, Ben. I've heard. I get lost in this show. Oh, yeah. I just watched uh, the episode of The West Wing where CJ is taking care of her father, like, like her father's Alzheimer's is getting worse. Oh. That's just like, oh my God. Like yeah. such an amazing episode. 
I don't is know that, if you remember that, but it's really season stuck out. That? It's I'm season re-watch- four, middle of season okay, four. Okay, I'm, I'm halfway through three, season three right now, rewatch. We so. should definitely talk about that because I'm going to finish that show. And you have never seen the entire series? No. Okay. So season four is the last Aaron Sorkin season. Oh, really? Yes. He Fuck. leaves after the end of season four. And then five is famously rated as the worst season, mm. but then six and seven pick up again. So I, I would say... I don't know what to tell you on that. Get but, through five. <laughs> get through five, struggle through five. But uh, yeah, and I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but um, but yeah, but six and seven are really good. Yeah, I just, I absolutely adore CJ's character. And I think she's by far the yeah. best. I think she's smarter than everyone too. Um, So I always want to see her succeed. And I hate when they like take their anger out on her. So like, <laughs> oh, we don't look good right now. It's like, stop fucking up. CJ's the one who's fucking killing the game right now. It's you losers that are screwing things up making decisions so bringing it back to station 11 what they do with cj's character i want to say it's season two where they give you her backstory as like a, a failed hollywood yeah. like someone's been forced out of like the hollywood pr scene yeah um into the role now all of a sudden she's press secretary and you totally buy her her path because she knows somebody that knows somebody and she's getting sucked into to dc in the role that she plays um but that whole that is a very Station Eleven like path or arc that she takes because you get like the full season of CJ and like how does she get this job? Oh yeah, we're gonna give that to you, and we're gonna have you live through it like as painful as it is for her to go through that experience of getting fired in in Hollywood in that role, and then why she's here in the first place. Our so listeners you're can't scoffing, see me. You're scoffing at that whole tirade. They can't see me smiling right now. Or you just called like the West Wing station, or you called the Station Eleven like West Wing esque, or you this called the West Wing Station Eleven esque. This is what good podcasters do, Ben. They segue back to the subject of the podcast. I, yes, I like the I like the segue. Um, to me, that that backstory was always like she's smarter than these people and really doesn't give a fuck about the Hollywood power rankings. So if she gets so fired, you didn't need you didn't need her backstory about her being fired. No, I like that. I like that we have a little bit of backstory because frankly, and right, you did in in that a, kind right, of show. Did. In that kind of show where I've watched at least a hundred hours of that show, so two hours watching Station Eleven shouldn't be that big of a deal. But <laughs> that shows I, I've been sucked in. In that show, I just want to spend more and more time with those characters. CJ is one of those characters that's like, I will watch an entire show of just CJ, which is what that episode in the middle of season four is. It's just pretty much CJ and her Mm -hmm. emotional and her emotions. It's like, thank fuck, please. Can someone have some more emotions in this besides like, there's a big tragedy or I got a big problem, Mr. President. It's like, like, this is a really great character and she's such a great actor. By the way, she's in American Beauty as like the mother who's like um, the mother of the drug dealer and the uh, Nazi plate um, military husband. And she's mm-hmm. like, she's like a statue. It's tragic. Mm-hmm. You see her just like not move and just completely shut down and in a loveless mm-hmm. relationship. And you're like, she's a fantastic, like she totally melts into that role. I had no idea it was her. And I've seen that mm-hmm. movie before I've seen that show. And she was so great in that movie. I just saw it on cable again, like over break. And I was like, fuck mm. yes, this movie's awesome. I know that's getting kind of uh, spacey, but like, and and he's, and he is a creep in that movie too. It's like, yeah, like, it's hard to watch oi, that movie oi, now. But, um, let me back, back to station 11. I'm going to ask you one more thing about that. Yes. Uh, just to interpret 
maybe where your head was when you're seeing that first episode when um Jeevan's sister who works in the emergency room uh-huh. she's the first one that kind of gives you an inkling that this is like a pretty serious you know pandemic event that's about to happen she she speaks to him from the er and we only get her voice we don't get to see her for the first part of episode one we yeah only hear her I, voice. we do see her eventually and we're getting we're getting it through Jeevan's experience of the conversation from like benign talking to my sister to like holy shit mm-hmm. and um tell me about you hearing her and what you walked away from with the information that she was revealing to you like were you was it impactful to you let me just put it that way yes which is why i wanted to see more of it i guess and other characters like that was the first thing we see right like that's yeah. the first uh it's the first like oh shit hunker down find save yourself right yeah. she like says that like save yourself and so, so it's like ooh, i want to see more I don't, I don't know on rewatch what i got out of that conversation was that <clears throat> she tells like a childhood story of her um, and Jeevan when they were kids mm-hmm. and she's recounting it at a time when she is clearly distressed and yelling at people, you know, holding the phone away, yelling at people in the hospital while she's going back to telling the story. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, she knows she's dead. Yeah. Right. I, 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 that didn't hit me until I re until I watched episode one again. Um, and it was done so effectively where she was, you thought she was just kind of meandering through this conversation with her brother um, kind of remembering something from the past, but it, it just really hit me how throughout episode one, it's the seriousness of what they're about to experience in Jeevan's face, his reaction, his seeing, his hearing what she's going through. Um, and then the whole, you know, drama and, and journey with Kirst, young Kirsten through Chicago in that episode was just like, you know, just like I went, the way I fell in love with the last of us as well, where when they prep you for what's about to happen, what's going to go down, it's done. It's done so like organically, like this is the way real people would experience this, that when they do that effectively, I'm just like, I'm, I'm bought in. I, I do have a type. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You're a sucker for a terrible tragedy. Um, so we'll talk long enough at this episode that we'll probably get into the next pandemic by the time we're done, done <laughs> recording. So maybe we should wrap it up. Yeah, we should. Um, so you can go watch episode four and five. Yeah. I'm actually going to do the multitudes of work that I have that I haven't done because I've oh, been... Oh, fuck school work. Go watch some more TV. I have other work, <laughs> side <laughs> school work that I'm already behind on. So, yeah. Um, All right. Let's uh, wrap it. Yeah. Let's um, let's do more like... Uh, I want to I wanna do more like... Um, what is it? More opinion-based stuff. Like not... Like we, I like this analysis of stuff, but I also like... I really like doing the Emmys. Like, that was fun. Like we can do like uh, events. Given, I've given plenty of opinions during this podcast. What do you mean? Uh, like n- not our subject well, not being like a film or a TV about show. Opinion shows. Yeah. Well, we talking got a couple shout outs that we should do a, a similar to what we did to Emmys. We should do for the Academy Awards as well. Yeah. So We're those are going to be announced. Like the... Those are by the time this airs, I think they're going to be announced, right? So this will air in a week, um, the twenty eighth. Uh, so they will have just been announced the nominations so yeah we'll definitely do that too yeah um yeah like rankings our own rankings i like arguing with you about that shit 
and I games got and stuff. Opinions. I got opinions, and I you do too, Ben. So That's why we're here. Why are we here? I'm not sure. I'm in school, and I've been what's the mission? What's the mission statement of the podcast? Um, Finger on the pulse of current movies and TV. Finger on the pulse. I think it's part partially to give. <laughs> what is that bullshit? Partially to give uh, um, retired Eric something to do. That's one that's thing, a, and the other thing is to maybe idea. expand your your um, view of the industry. Uh, being a young up and coming film student, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So to give talk about marketing and monetizing and the different aspects of film and TV that aren't necessarily you know in front of the camera, but behind the camera stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You That's know, a I'm also learning that. Thing. We got we got to tighten that up a little bit. You, you know, I'm also learning that in school, right? I'm being taught that stuff. This is the school of hard knocks, my friend. <laughs> this, yeah. This is the street. I'm teaching you about the street, Ben. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh when I say that. No, I I, I can't help myself. <laughs> well, this is the street. Um, uh, this is a very comfortable street that we're on, Eric. I'm feeling the, uh, totally I think the collective calm. eye roll from our listeners at at that last couple minutes is enough to tell us that we've overstayed our welcome. A little bit, yeah. All right, Ben. Until next time. This was fun. Yeah. Uh, Until next time. See you soon, Eric. See you, Ben. Take care.